The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details. Welcome to For the Love of Wine on Fresh FM. I'm your host, Kirsten Rodsgaard. Today I'm joined by Bruce Taylor, Chief Winemaker at Tohu Wines. Kia ora, harimai, Bruce. Kia ora, Kirsten. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Now, Bruce, you work for Aotearoa's and the world's first Maori-owned wine business established in 1998. When and how did you get involved? Oh, that's a good question, isn't it? So I guess I came along about halfway through the life of the company. In 2008, I was sort of lucky enough to pick up this job. So I was an assistant winemaker for another sort of rather large um, Marlborough wine company. Um, Which one was time. that? It was for Villa Maria at that uh-huh. stage. So I'd, yep. come, I'd come back to New Zealand from overseas and had um, ended up as assistant winemaker for Villa here, which was a job that I really enjoyed, like really good Good company. Things have changed a little bit these days with Villa, of course. But you know, back then they were, um, yeah, really focused on great wines and all that sort of stuff. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot in those sort of few years with them. And then um, Tohu, I was aware that Tohu was looking for a winemaker. Um, and but the, at that time they were advertising for quite a senior winemaker, so quite a sort of a very experienced person, which wasn't really me. So I, you know, it's not even a job that I would have um, attempted to apply for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was pretty happy at Villa Maria as well. But thankfully for me, they couldn't find um, what they were looking for, I guess, another another winemakers from around New Zealand or whoever had applied. So they came and um, just through, I can't actually remember how they ended up with me, but they came and asked me if I'd be keen to um, have a chat to them. And I thought, oh, well, I'm pretty happy at Villa, but, you know, why not, I suppose. So I went along and met them in the middle of 2008 Vintage, which was... You know, as you may or may not remember, was just a, a very big vintage. one, yeah, <laughs> big terrible vintage, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was all pretty unpleasant, really. So, Absolutely, um, yeah. So we were right in the midst of it, and at Villa, and I went and had a chat to them, and was very sort of straight up about all the things that I couldn't couldn't do, and there was lots of this lots of this job that I didn't really know anything about. Um, and yeah, and I was lucky enough that they sort of obviously they I don't know quite what they what they saw in me. Actually, I think Waktu and Tohu Kono have always had a bit of a history of sort of you know, looking people in the eye and sort of going, oh, yeah, you could, you know, we'll take a punt on you, I suppose, take, yeah. a, take a chance with you. And, that's and given that me, you've so. been there 14 mm. years now, I guess the, uh, you know, uh, it all <laughs> worked out. To get rid of. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, I'm yeah. wondering, um, was one of the requirements that you spoke to Reo Māori? No, not at that stage. I, no, no. And I still, my... Um, my today I was still pretty poor, unfortunately. As um, as try as we try as we might, we do sort of um, you know, we learn a bit of uh, Maori during the during the year and all that sort of thing. Sure. But um, yeah, I, I guess I see more of that going on over at head office over in Nelson at Wakatu House. And, yeah, you know, they're based a little bit closer to the to the home marae and all that sort of stuff. Whereas where we are. You know, we're out in the Awatiri Valley and the sort of the wilds in the middle of nowhere, really. So yeah, we're sort of not quite so exposed to that yeah. sort of that side of the business. But mm. um, yeah, it's still still a part of part of what we do. So sure. I probably know more than I think I do, but I'm <laughs> probably fairly hardly fluent, if uh, even competent. I'm not 
sure I would describe myself as even competent. No. Really? Fair enough. Now, let's talk about Tohu Wines as a company, because as mentioned, you know, it was the world's first Maori-owned wine business. I'm wondering, is it still the only one, to your knowledge? Um, I believe we are still the only sort of collectively owned one. So, mm-hmm. obviously, we're, you know, we're owned by Wakatu and Corporation with their 4,000-odd shareholders. Yep. Um, so, it is sort of, you know, owned, yeah, I guess it's collectively owned, but, I, but I, I, am, I am aware that there are other sort of uh, Māori businessmen or Māori winemakers out there with wine companies. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, a few that jump to mind that I won't um, won't, uh, won't say in the interview because, you know, yep. it's supposed to be about me, isn't it? Yeah, not absolutely, them. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we're not, the only, we're not the only one these days, but I guess, you know, obviously it's... Um, Maori businesses are in all, all facets of business life in New Zealand, so the wine industry is no different these days. Yeah. yeah. And the meaning of tohu, what is that exactly? Uh, so tohu is sort of like a um, like mark or signature or a sign symbol. I guess, it, I guess it means different things in different sort of contexts, but I guess we sort of, I guess when I'm overseas and I describe it, I sort of think of it as being like a like putting your mark on it, you put your tohu on something, so it's sort of a, your... Yeah, like a like a sign or a or a symbol, a signature, that sort of thing. Right. In the late nineteen nineties, how did Tohu actually come about? Yeah, so it's an interesting one. I guess you know, in late late nineties, I guess our owners and a couple of other iwi from around New Zealand could really see the wine industry starting to get going, and in particular for Wakatu, you know, as um. You know, as basically farm, farmers and growers, you know, we had the um, seafood business and they had a lot of horticulture. And I guess when you're looking at um, sort of products from the products from the top of the south and from the land and sea, um, it was sort of a seemed obviously a good idea in the late '90s that um, the wine industry was, you know, going to be a, a, a thing of the future. Uh-huh. Um, so Wakatu got got into into business with an iwi out of um, Gisborne, the Weeperry Trust, and I think there was some involvement from maybe from Rangatani over here in Marlborough. Well, I'm not entirely sure about that fact. And they basically set up Tohu and sort of pooled their resources. And um, and I think Wakatu were always sort of the dominant, um, the, the drivers of, of the whole business. Um, and then they, and basically they sort of, uh, they started out with, I think maybe in 98, there was like 500,000 cases of wine produced sort of mostly all, all for export, basically, and all from a contract grower made in a contract winery. So really a virtual a virtual winery, very mm-hmm. much that, that sort of model. And um, and then a few years sort of in, into that, they um, purchased and started sort of developing a couple of vineyards over here. Um, obviously, there was fruit coming out of um, Gisborne as well. We probably had quite large plantings up there in Gizzi. So we're doing, you know, Gisborne... Um, Merlot and uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Gris and stuff like that. So sort of a real um, spread of sort of varieties from around New Zealand as well, which is something we sort of continue with too. So we still do a Chardonnay out of Gisborne um, and, and sort of um, recognition of that sort of history, I suppose. Sure. Um, yeah, so it sort of just grew sort of very organically from that really sort of small beginning, you know, 500 sort of thousand cases all export, no sort of bricks and mortar or no sort of physical assets, I suppose, apart from the sort of the Wakatu lands. And um, and it's grown to what we are today, you know, which is sort of a little over uh, maybe two hundred and fifty thousand cases out of this year. And you know, we own a winery and a bunch of vineyards and a whole lot of sort of good loyal growers. And yeah, so it's sort of growing sort of, sort of quite organically, I suppose, from that start. And you know, not, nothing too crazy and sort of really sort of sustainably and um, 
Yeah, which is a, a nice way to be, you know. Yeah, yeah really good, yeah. really good approach, I reckon. Yeah, so it's a company really that's gone from strength to strength, and it, you know, as you mentioned, it's part of a larger corporation. Now, when when you guys started uh, your plantings in the Albertree Valley, I actually interviewed James Wheeler back in the early two thousands. <laughs> back cool. then, yep. he was the director of Waka Two Incorporation, yep. the Port Nicholson Fisheries and Tohu Wines, and he was also right. the CEO of the wine company. So with that's him right. walking around the vineyard in the Armory Valley, we talked about the secret behind Toho's success, and he pointed out two points, good quality wine, obviously, and then the Maori point of difference and the fact that the land is so important to the Maori um, as they see themselves as guardians of the land, a concept, you know, the kaitiakitanga, taking care of land and water. And I guess it's still a very vital and fundamental part of the business. Yeah, no, that's right. And and these days we're sort of, you know, we're really in the sort of first phases of taking it to a, another level as well. I mean, that, that sort of uniqueness of our company was something that was very attractive to me um, to come and work for us, you know, in, in, a, in a world of wine which is sort of dominated by big sort of multinational corporations and mm-hmm. very, very large, large wineries. You know, it was pretty obvious that, um, that a, a multi-owned um, wine company from New Zealand had quite a unique sort of position, you know. And um, certainly when I first started working with us on you know, I'm not sure we were sort of really, well, you know, um, uh, really sort of capitalising on that as much as we could have out there in the in the markets. I think there was a lot of sort of pride from our owners and, you know, with what James had achieved with the company and everything. And um, but, but probably I, I feel like a bit, of pro, a bit of pride in sort of being taken, uh, being just recognised for being good wine producers and making mm-hmm. great wine and sort of doing, doing the right thing and not necessarily... Uh, as a as a Maori company, but as a as a company in its own, you know. So there's a lot of, a lot of pride in the wines, yeah, yeah, as, as, as they were as well. And but that but that whole Maori story, you know, it just really res- resonates when we do, you know. As James did a lot of sort of travelling around the world, sort of pounding the pavement, and you know, it's a it's a really unique story that sort of really gels with people, and it's a you know, it's a it's a feel good story as well. It's a, a sort of a great indigenous um, business success. And um, yeah, so it's been been pretty cool. And in, in recent in recent years, we've sort of, you know, we really try. Uh, there's more of a focus these days on trying to really live that kaitiaki um, philosophy, I suppose. So we're yeah. sort of we're really going for the whole regenerative agriculture thing this year. We're starting to certify a few blocks um, organically. So we've a couple of years ago we bought out a um, sort of like our reserve range of wines, which are our Fenua wines. So we take sort of the very best varieties and the best sort of uh, selection of wines from sort of more, more or less organically grown blocks on our Fenua Awa vineyard, which is our Awatiri vineyard, or our Fenua Matua vineyard, which is up in the upper Motri. Mm-hmm. And we um, we sort of pick the very best out of those and those go into our Fenua wines. So as I said, those are sort of our reserve wines. And now we're sort of pursuing an organic certification on those, those blocks, which feed into those wines as well, because that sort of you know that that philosophy of uh, looking after your land and not doing any harm to it, and sort of protecting it for sort of future generations, and making the whole business sustainable as well as the land sustainable is you know sort of things like a, a no brainer for a um, for a multi owned company really. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, sort of and, a, a logical and, thing to do. Yeah, yeah. and Toho has other deeply held values which include Rangatiratanga uh, and Manakitanga. So, um, you know, talking about being excellent and kindness. So, I guess there are other values that you um, uh, appreciate uh, working with um, at Toho. 
Yeah, yeah. I think we sort of, you know, we try, yeah, we try, we try hard to be nice employers and to be a good place to work at. I suppose. Mm. Yeah, and so it's an interesting one because I guess in this world of, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, I'm not giving myself the commentator curse or the famous last <laughs> words, but we seem to, have, <laughs> but we seem to have. Uh, done quite a good job of retaining staff, you know, and I think that's a lot of the success of our wines in the last sort of sort of decade or a few years anyway, is that sort of consistency of staff and stuff. So, you know, we make we make a big effort to, you know, hopefully everyone feels looked after and sort of valued and um everyone makes a contribution and we're sort of yeah, we're um we're sort of a, a nice nice bunch of people to work for, I would suggest. Yeah. So Sounds that good. Sort of helps us retain staff and sort of, you know, that's so important in, in the wine industry, just having that sort of consistency of people from year to year to year. Yeah, and um, how did you fare during COVID? Because I know from other uh, winemakers and companies that it's it was hard to get uh, people for harvest because we didn't have the young backpackers, et cetera, from overseas. Yeah, well, it was interesting, really, because, you know, we've, up until up until COVID, I mean that first in twenty twenty they they were all still in the country. So you know we did have a bunch of foreigners. We we employed probably what ten or twelve sort of um, people to help us during vintage, sort of in in terms of sort of various skill levels. You know, so some would be quite experienced winemakers from overseas, and some would be sort of just starting out on their winemaking careers, and mm-hmm. then a few would be just backpackers that you know were happy to just clean tanks and water blast floors and yeah. things like that just after a working holiday. Um, so obviously, you know, 2020, we had all those people here and then they all sort of went back home or most of them went back home. Some stayed in New Zealand. Um, and then the last couple of years, we, like, as you say, the borders were closed and we, yeah, I was quite, I was pretty nervous, to be honest, that we wouldn't be able to source any people. And we did a lot of planning around, okay, what are we going to do if we sort of can only get half the people that we need and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. And, um, it, yeah, I guess we were just really lucky or something because we, ended up with enough people and so it sort of made me change how I think about that a little bit because I do you know we we basically managed to find you know a dozen people from locals really you know a few from um, outside the outside the area but a lot of locals uh, which we'd never really employed before because I think you know it was possibly a little bit lazy of us because you could just bring these people in from overseas right they sort of they sort of knew what they were doing already and you could just basically throw them into the Throw into them the, into the craziness of vintage, and they yeah. would just pick it up and go for it. Whereas in these last couple of years, we've, I guess it's put a lot more um, responsibility and, and uh, focus back on our permanent staff to sort of supervise and to train and all that. So, so we bring, so in the last couple of years, we've brought people in quite early, um, and yeah, we we actually haven't found it hard to to populate the winery, which I've found a little bit surprising. I guess yeah. we're small, you know, we're only after a dozen people, so some of the big wineries in town are employing 100, 150 people, which I guess, which I can only imagine how difficult that must have been out yeah. of that sort of limited limited labour pool. But, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we pay, you know, we pay pretty well and we look after people, we put them in accommodation, we feed them really well. We've started feeding, we, we've always fed people one meal during vintage, but in the last couple of years we've been feeding people uh, you know a meal during work and a meal after work as well mm-hmm. so we're really trying to you know sort of wrap our arms around staff and sort of make and give, give people a, as good an experience as possible because a lot of you know especially the people that came to work for us had never worked in wineries before so they, yeah, people just, hearing this might be li- uh, lining up now for next vintage no, uh, yeah. hearing how good it oh, is yeah, we're, we're amazing come yeah, work for us good yeah. stuff <laughs> now uh, Bruce four years ago um, Tohu celebrated the first 20 years and you guys released a very special wine talk me through that one 
Yeah, I guess that's the Riva Rose, mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. the one you're referring to? Yeah, yep. Yep. yeah. So that was wine. something. Yeah, so that was sort of quite a few years in the making there because obviously we well maybe not obviously but we make um, we do two sparklings and they're both made in the traditional method. So that's a long, you know, it's a long, long process. Basically, mm-hmm. you pick your pick your grapes and you do the. Um, do the actual the champagne bottling part of it a year after that and then they'll sit on leaves for a couple of years and then they'll sort of sit and they'll get disgorged and maybe six months to a year after that before they were released. So sort of like quite a, well obviously we knew the 20th anniversary was coming up in about three years before that, three, four years before that maybe, we started thinking about it and sort of thought, okay, well let's, you know, what what would be something really sort of special that would, you know, tick a celebration box and also be, you know, quite sort of... Um, Quite sort of high end, I suppose. So in that sort of reserve range of range of wines, and we'd you know we'd had some success, well, we had some quite good success with our Blanc de Blanc as well. So we sort of thought, oh well, you know, do you, do you just make a reserve Blanc de Blanc, or do we sort of target a uh, another vineyard and try and make a you know a, a sparkling rosé, basically? So yeah, that was just, that was where the Riva Rosé came out, and then we did the sort of the um, collaboration on the label with the uh, artist, with the Phlox lady, the artist from up in Auckland, who did our sort of boxes and labels and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, so it was um, so it was pretty cool. I think that really did sort of tick that, tick that box. And, you know, they're really fun fun wines to make, the sparklings as well. But there is a – they take some organising because yeah. it is sort of like you decide to make one and then – it all hit the market, you know, four years later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an accountant's nightmare, really. Yeah, wines, yeah, but, no, it would be. But, so um, <laughs> apart from a little bit of sparkling wine, uh, talk me through the rest of the portfolio. Oh, we make quite a few wines mm-hmm. these days. So, yeah, I guess if I was doing a, like a tasting, was sort of the way I sort of think about them. So we'd always start with the sparkling. So we'd do the couple of um, the vintage uh, methods, so Blanc de Blanc, a, a rosé. Um, I think we're on 2017s for both of those at the moment, mm-hmm. 16 or 17, something like that. Um, we do, like all Marlborough producers, you know, we do a bunch of Sauvignon, so about 80% of what we make is Sauvignon Blanc. Um, we do a large, sort of a, our mostly export um, uh, blend, which is the Cornell Sauvignon, which is a sort of a mix of all different vineyards from around Marlborough, a real classic sort of Marlborough Sauvignon. Uh, and then we do, our, I guess, our flagship Sauvignon, which is the Tohu Sauvignon, which is a um, Awateri Valley, so it's predominantly from our Fenua Awa vineyard, which is sort of right up the up in the wilds, up the excuse me, up the top of the Awateri Valley, but brings in some of our grower fruit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also do another couple of Sauvignons. We do like a reserve one from up there, which again fits into that Fenua range, so it comes off a sort of organically farm block. Um, you have a bit of barrel work and more uh, lees aging, so you're trying to make a more sort of elegant, sort of uh, a little bit sort of more serious sort of expression of Sauvignon, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a couple of Pinot Gris, so one from over in um, Finomato, so that's our upper Motri vineyard, and then we do an Awateri Valley Pinot Gris as well. We do a Riesling, we've done a like a dry style Riesling from our vineyard over here in the Awateri. We do a, a sticky, like a Petritus Riesling, mm. although we haven't made one of those for a, for a few years because we've had sort of quite good growing seasons, really, so we haven't really had any Petritus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we haven't made one of those for a, two or three years. Um, we do a, a few different Chardonnays. I do an unoaked Chardonnay, which is sort of like a Chablis style, I suppose, so sort of full malolactic fermentation, but all stainless steel. Uh, which is predominantly export. We do the Gisborne Chardonnay that I mentioned before, which uh-huh. is quite a large volume, sort of uh, mostly through the sort of the supermarkets in New Zealand. 
Uh, we do a couple of reserve uh, Chardonnays. So in that Fenua reserve range, there's, a, there's one which comes from the upper Motri and one from uh, the upper Awateri. So those are our two sort of both barrel fermented, sort of full, solid, sort of quite, um, or can be quite funky, you know, the big that sort of, I wouldn't say that old school way of Chardonnay, but it's definitely like oaked and malolactic and sort of rich and full-bodied, you know, the sort of... Sounds you know, nice, to, just my kind yeah. of Chardonnay. Yeah, me too. That's why I make them. <laughs> yeah. That's what you do when you're the winemaker. You yeah. make wines you want to drink yourself, which is pretty Absolutely. cool. Um, and ooh, what else do Any we do? Any red wine? Yeah, we do. Uh, we do a Merlot. We have a sort of a collaboration with a Hawke's Bay winery, so we do a Merlot under that sort of Torhu label. Um, because obviously we don't grow any sort of big full-body reds down here. And no. then we do a bunch of Pinot Noirs as well. So we do a Cornel Pinot, uh, which is sort of our in- entry level, sort of a little bit sort of um, uh, sort of fresh and fruity style, I suppose, and that's predominantly exports. Quite a lot of that goes up into Japan and the US, basically. And then our Tohu Pinot, which is our sort of Awateri Valley, which is sort of goes all around the world and New Zealand and widely widely available. And then again, two sort of reserved ones, so a Nelson sort of upper Motri, which is a very sort of different style to our upper Awateri one, so they're quite quite distinctive. So kind of cool and taste things to sort of juxtapose those two different vineyards, I mm-hmm. suppose. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so even though you make It's all you know, about expressing the terroir. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, we, we sort of, um, we really wanted to elevate, in a way, those, that Nelson vineyard as well. So we, we used to do a brand called um, Aranui, which was... Um, which was in, in, in some ways sort of sort of not not really doing justice to the vineyard, I suppose. So sort of uh, coming in at sort of a more entry level pricing, I suppose. Whereas we sort of thought, man, we're, we're making some pretty pretty cracking chardonnays and pinot noirs from over there, and an Albarino as well. We mm-hmm. do from over over in Nelson. So we sort of really wanted to sort of elevate those in, into our sort of reserve range, I suppose. Yeah, and you know they're also coming from the vineyard over there, which is very important. To our owners, being sort of part of the part of the tents um, settlement land, which uh, which Wakatu has under their control, so mm-hmm. really sort of yeah, really sort of a, a sort of backstory to those wines as well. So are they and now uh, under the Tohu umbrella and not Aranui? Yeah, so they come under sort of Tohu Finua. So we came out with some sort of Finua range, mm-hmm. um, which is you know as, as you know no no doubt is sort of means the land I suppose. So they yeah. are all about the land. So yeah. there's not too much sort of winemaking trickery or anything sort of going on there. We basically just trying to really express the express the vineyard. So there's a few wines that sort of lend themselves to that, you know, like the um, Chardonnays and Pinots from both those areas. Yeah. Uh, Albarino from over there. Um, recently Nicely, from, you make an Albarino. That's sort of becoming a new little trend in New Zealand. Yeah, it's pretty cool, eh? Yeah. Our, um, one of my old old bosses, Mike Brown, who was the um, who was the sort of Waimea from over over your way, mm-hmm. was uh, was very sort of passionate about those alternative varietals. So back in the day, I can't even remember how long ago that is, maybe eight, nine years ago, we planted a hectare of Albarino and we planted a hectare of Gruner Veltliner mm-hmm. on, our, on our vineyard there in the Upper Mochi. And uh, Albarino is, you know, very sort of fresh fruit, sort of mm, mandarin and wine. citrus and, yeah, really cool wine. And, you know, it's been quite successful for us and got a good sort of following. Um, the Gruner Veltliner, us, us winemakers and everyone in the wine company thought they were like really interesting, awesome, quite funky, sort of slightly weird wine, but <laughs> no one else really did. <laughs> so unfortunately, the poor old Gruner Veltliner got chainsawed off a few years ago and okay. um, 
Well, you gave it a try. Repainted with Alberino. Yeah, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One out of two was pretty good. Yeah. So, good so ratio the, of success. Yeah. So the overall sort of winemaking philosophy for Toho, what's that? Well, I reckon it just comes down to good vineyards, to be honest. So, mm. I mean, it's sort of, sometimes I think I'm just a lazy winemaker, but um, generally, I sort of definitely believe that if you grow your grapes well and you look after your, look after your vineyard and, it, you know, and you've got good fruit, the winemaker's job is just not to interfere too much. So I'm, I'm very sort of, I'm pretty, you know, we obviously pay a lot of attention to what's going on, but we also pretty hands off on the, on the, on the fining and the, and the, basically the, the fiddling around with the wines. I guess I'm sort of in that camp where I think every time you jump into a tank or a barrel of wine and you start playing around with your acids and all your mm. different millions of products, which are the wine salespeople or, you know, the uh, the uh, dry goods people will try and sell you all sorts of amazing things that do all sorts of amazing things to your wine. But I sort of tend to think that if you've got good grapes and you do your job properly in the winery and you know and we're lucky we've got a really modern well set up winery as well and mm-hmm. as I said before really good staff and stuff like that so we sort of you know we're, we're sort of all over the quality of looking after those grapes um, then I think you know you shouldn't really have to do too much to your wine and it no. should just sort of express what's going on you know exactly. while also sort of while also sort of keeping in your back pocket the um, you know the ability or the you know the uh, yeah, the possibility that you will jump in and throw every product ever invented by mankind if you have to. Mm, mm, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think yeah. you probably shouldn't have to. Really, no, usually. no, usually. I agree. Yeah. Pure, yeah. The purer, the better. Now, so, uh, Bruce, you're the, the chief winemaker at Toho. There's also Anna McCarty, who is uh, the winemaker, with you. So between the two of you, how do you divide your work? Yeah, well, Anna, 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 came, for, uh, Anna came to work for us back in 2012 when we first got the winery. So obviously we were a virtual winery before that, so it was just sort of me knock, knocking around mm-hmm. and um, doing everything by, by myself and making wine in contract wineries. And when we bought the winery, this, uh, the actual physical bricks and mortar, we ran out there and employed staff, which we were lucky enough to get Anna to come and work for us back then at the start of 2012 vintage, I think it was. Mm-hmm. It might be 2013, but there you go. Um, so Anna sort of started out as assistant winemaker and basically, you know, she's got a great palate and does a great job for us. So she just gets more and more responsibility as, as the years go by. So Anna looks after, um, in, in particular, sort of looks at, we do a bit of winemaking for other people in the winery as well. We've got a couple of clients. So she sort of looks after that side of it and has in, in the last sort of few years taking sort of full responsibility for our Nelson wines as well. So we do a bit of Sauvignon from over in Nelson and we do, you know, um, as, I, as I said before, Pinot Gris, uh, Pinot Noir, Alberino, um, and Chardonnay from our Fenua Matua vineyard from over there. So, so Anna's now sort of responsible for those picking decisions, and um, and very much sort of I, yeah, I sort of uh, obviously see see those wines and yeah. take them with her and everything. But we, yeah, but it's she's really sort of taken that bull by the horns over there and sort of looks after all those. And and is obviously sort of, you know, we're all involved in the day to day running of the winery and everything. That's very much my two I see. And we have another assistant winemaker and lab manager. And we're a pretty small team, so everyone's sort of involved in everything. And I, I get increasingly sort of pulled out into more general managery type duties as well, which sort of takes me off the um, away from the winery and off the coal face, so to speak. So it's pretty nice to know that I've got a um, got an awesome uh, assistant that's now a winemaker that sort of 
but I'm uh, happy to leave in charge of things when I'm not yeah. here. So is that a good thing <laughs> for you personally, that you're not as much hands-on as you used to be? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I am over vintage. And of course, I still, yeah. yeah. I still sort of do get out there because we are a pretty small team, so if someone's away, I'll be out there tankering, as, as will Anna and as will everybody else will be out there tankering wines and cleaning tanks and doing what has, what has to be done. So we're sort of small enough that we do, all of us, get involved in the... Um, and the actual physical part of the running the winery as well and doing the cellar work, which is actually a bit that I really enjoy. I probably enjoy it more than the you know, the business planning and the budgeting and mm. all the other stuff that you get when you end up as the sort of de facto GM. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now what's the biggest challenge for you as a winemaker? Oh, the weather. Mm. <laughs> the weather. Um yeah, definitely. I guess the weather. I mean, and these these days in Melbourne too, the, the you know there is a lot of challenges out there with um, with supply as well. So there's, I guess there is a you know Melbourne Sauvignon in particular is sort of really you know just gone from strength to strength overseas, and it's showing no sign you know Touchwood of sort of slowing down. Mm-hmm. So that just just being able to source grapes and to feed. You know, or to source appropriate grapes, so you're sort of happy with the quality and with the job that the growers are doing. And you know, I, I am happy with all my all my growers. Um, so just trying to, yeah, just keep sourcing that in, in a very competitive environment. You know, like the like the price that we pay for a for a ton of Marlborough Sauvignon, you know, these days is sort of knocking around that two and a half thousand dollars a ton. If you mm-hmm. go back sort of five years, it was like fifteen hundred a ton. Wow! So, so everything is going up. Everything is getting more expensive, yeah. so it's sort of getting, getting that sort of through and into a bottle price because I'm not sure, you know, us or, or anybody else in the industry has really seen, you know, rising prices on the shelf to compensate for the rising prices of everything that's sort of feeding into it, you know. I mean, mm. excise has just gone up and everything is getting more and more expensive. So it's just trying to maintain, yeah, maintain that sort of supply and keep those sort of relationships going because it's so competitive out there at the moment, you know, land prices. I mean, we've been, you know, looking at purchasing vineyards as well in the last sort of few years and there's just um, there's just crazy, mm. or seemingly crazy prices being paid. So it's becoming very, yeah, it gets more, I guess it gets more and more difficult to compete yeah. with that. So quite a few challenges there uh, in your There's role. always some challenges, I guess. Yeah. 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 Now, where did you actually grow up, Bruce? Um, ooh, am I, have I grown up? I guess I have grown up. I'm 52, I suppose I should consider myself <laughs> to be grown up these days. Uh, in, a, in a little place called Ohopi, actually. You know that is? That's in the Eastern Bay of Plenty. Oh, right. Very, very close to Fokatani, so not a wine-growing area, just a very nice sort of 20-kilometre white sand beach, which sort of suited me being yeah. a bit of a so what bum got, when I was a kid yeah. and surfing and all that. Exactly. Yeah. So what actually got you from surfing to winemaking? Oh, it's a good question, isn't it? So I went back to when I was sort of in my late twenties, sort of early, I guess my late twenties. I had uh, actually, well, when I left high school, I did a bachelor of arts in history, film studies, philosophy, English lit, all that sort of stuff, which obviously doesn't really sort of get you a job unless you want to be a teacher mm-hmm. or go back to university and teach other people history. However, quite a good education, I thought. Learning about history is sort of pretty golden as far as teaching you how to think critically and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I didn't really do anything with that degree, but late, late in my 20s, I had a, uh, a girlfriend at the time that was quite into wine, and I must admit I didn't really know anything about wine, or I was possibly drinking bad wine, more determined by the price and the alcohol strength than anything else. Mm-hmm. Not to put too fine a word on it, but there you go. Um, <laughs> so, so she sort of, I guess, opened my eyes to 
sort of like good wines, you know, I sort of started thinking, oh, that looks pretty interesting. And then um, I had a friend who was a winemaker up in Hawke's Bay who I thought it always seemed like she had quite an interesting life as well. And I thought, oh, that kind of looks like something I might like to give a go at. So, Is she still a winemaker, your friend? Um, no. No. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I sort of went back to um, to EIT, actually, up in Hawke's Bay. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I thought, oh, I'll just do one, you know, I'll do the first year of the degree, um, which sort of, you know, I wasn't sure how I'd get on with that, really, because it's all obviously a lot of science, chemistry, and, uh, mm. uh, you know, all the microbiology and all that sort of stuff, which was really not what I thought I was uh, really <laughs> knew anything about, although my whole family are all mad scientists, so I guess I have it in there somewhere along the line. Mm. But, um, yeah, so I gave that a go and um, thought, wow, this is pretty cool. It's a bit embarrassing, really, to think about how little I knew about wine at the start there, you know, just the very basic stuff, which was all a little bit mind-boggling, I suppose, and a little bit overwhelming to begin with. But then, yeah, I sort of thought, this is a pretty cool job, really. And I was very very attracted by the by what I probably perceived quite wrongly at the time to be the lifestyle of it as well, you know, sort of mm-hmm. like, it's cool, it's all like wine and food, you know, which I was kind of quite into. Yeah. And uh, a lot of travel as well. It's a job that you could really take travelling, you know, around the world. I like travelling and I've done a lot of sort of backpacking and tripping around the world and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, this is a job that I can take to, you know, around the world and go to, you know, France and Italy and America and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, generally wine areas are, quite nice parts of the world as well mm-hmm. so you're always sort of based you know reasonably close to the ocean and I was surfing quite a lot so that was appealing um, and good climates you know nice sort of yeah good sort of culture and stuff so I thought ah, you know from a lifestyle perspective I thought oh that'll be cool that looks like good fun. So is um, this your life now when you look back is this what's happened to you are you living that life that you dreamt of? Yeah yeah I guess so I sort of live out in the wilds of the Tree Valley so like 250 meters above sea level long way from the ocean no surf spots anywhere near me <laughs> <laughs> but then I have Two little kids, so I'm sort of a little bit busy for and a responsible job, which doesn't always go well with a surfing uh, hobby, you'd have to say. Yeah. But yes, I can't imagine doing anything else now. It's a pretty oh, cool job. that's good. That's good. I just think it's amazing. You know, it's really cool that you can actually make something. You know, like I sort of, I know so many you know, friends and stuff that sort of, you know, sit in offices or do, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, that's just that sort of, I mean, it's all a bit nerve-wracking and a little bit freaky, but you do actually get to make something. You know, I think at the end of the day, that is appreciated you by others. Something in a, yeah, and you know, people, you know, if they like wine, well, they like your wine. They tell you. If they don't like it, they don't usually tell you. People are usually pretty polite. You know, not <laughs> people come up to you and tell you your wines are rubbish. <laughs> so it's all pretty, pretty positive. You do need sort of thick skin, I suppose, which I've sort of developed. I took all the wine shows and awards or lack of, you know, in those first years, sort of a bit personally. But um, these days, I'm sort of a little bit more. Thick-skinned about it all, I guess, and you kind of just uh, just do like what you a think, Sauvignon Blanc grape. Thick-skinned. Right. You just do yeah. what you think's right, and um, what else can you do, right? Exactly. Yeah. On that note, our time is sadly up. Bruce Taylor, chief winemaker at Tohu Wines. Thank you so much for coming on the show to share your stories with me and our no listeners worries. here on Fresh FM. Thanks. Cool. Thanks for having me.